What a perfect song. We are vapor, you are eternal. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And while you're turning there, let me express my, my gratitude to, to Pastor Scott and to the elders. I want to thank you for just a, a, a gracious invitation to, to come here to preach God's Word to you. And I met, um, I met Scott, um, was a year, a little more than a year ago. And, um, just knew that, that I, that I liked him. Um, so for Kyle and Warren, uh, thank you to the deacons, to the, to the members of this wonderful church. I want to thank you. My wife and I have thoroughly enjoyed our time and, of course, our, our very special gratitude to our dear and f- sweet friends, Scott and Gail Larson. We, we appreciate you guys and, and love you very much. We are thankful to God for you. And so, as we come to a conclusion and start to wrap things up here in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at the twelfth chapter, the final chapter. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Young people, listen to this first verse, please. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and the mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few and those who look through the windows grow dim. The doors on the street are shut at the sound of the grinding mill. The sound of the grinding mill is low and One will arise at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of high places and terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caper berry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed, then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vapor of vapors, says Kohelet. All is vapor. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for His death in our place. 
on Calvary. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that he was delivered over for our transgressions and raised up for our justification. And we thank you for the supper that reminds us of the great cost of our redemption. And Father, we also thank you for the wonderful songs that we've been able to sing this morning and the reminder that we are a vapor and you are eternal. And Father, we now pray that your word would go forth in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that you would help us to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the ministry of the word We saw last hour that whatever our hand finds to do, we're to do it with all of our might. And right now it's listening to your word. And so we pray that you would give us a diligence and a concentration. Help us to follow and we pray that your word would would perform its work in us who believe. We pray that your word would not return to you void, but would accomplish all of your glorious purposes. And so, Father, we commit this time to you, this message to you. We pray that it would bear good fruit for the glory of your name. Amen. So if you really want to live, if you really want to enjoy life, then stand by a graveside. Go to a funeral. Solomon says back in chapter 7 and verse 2, it's better to go to the house of mourning, that it's better to go to a funeral than to the house of feasting. Why? Because this is the end of every man and the living need to take it to heart. As you go to every funeral, every funeral you attend, you need to see that funeral in light of your own. Living life in light of the end is the way to embrace life as the gift. But what about that process that actually ends up leading to the grave? We call it growing old. Someone once said, I think it was actually R.C. Sproul, it's not death that scares me, it's the thought of dying that scares me. David Gibson writes, Growing old leaves a person depressed at the disconnect between the mirror and the mind. Let me read that again in case you were distracted. Growing old leaves a person depressed at the disconnect between the mirror and the mind. We we joke about getting old, but there comes a point where the jokes aren't funny anymore. And so, (laughs) so if life is a gift, we dare not waste the prime of life. And if we dare not waste the prime of life, then what do we make of the aging process? What do we make of old age itself? Old age, just realistically, is is when the gifts of this life start to slip away. And it's sad. There's loss. The gifts that, that we once enjoyed now slip through our fingers and... We enjoy them less and less and there comes a time where the gifts seem to disappear. And Solomon would remind us that too is a gift. But the question is, how? Now, I want to take a detour. 
I could have done this, I think, at any point this this weekend, but I'm going to do it right now. There is there is a there's a frame of reference that we have to have, especially as we come to this text, especially as we've been talking a lot about death, because Ecclesiastes talks a lot about death. This isn't original with me. This comes from um, from Joe Rigney in his uh, really terrific book, The Things of Earth. And R- Rigney um, says, as you read Scripture, you have two different kinds of texts. He calls them the first totalizing texts, and then enjoyment of life texts or things of earth texts. Alright? Following me? Two categories. Totalizing things of earth. Totalizing texts are texts like like this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you I desire nothing on earth. And though my heart and my flesh may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my inheritance forever. Right? That's a totalizing text. That is a text that tells us God is everything, God is my portion, and even though the things of this life may fade away, including my own heart and my own life, the fact is is that God is my inheritance forever. Totalizing text. Or a totalizing text would be something like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. A totalizing text is a text that teaches us that our devotion needs to be set 100% on God. Therefore, since you have died with Christ, keep your mind fixed on things above where Christ is, not on the things of the earth. For Christ who is our life, when He is revealed, we too will be revealed with Him in glory. Totalizing text. Fix your mind on Christ. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Totalizing text. Live for Christ. Lots of texts like that. And those texts all teach us the same thing. That to live this life is to live it in 100% devotion to God. It's to live with Christ Himself as your treasure. But then there are things of earth texts, right? And in fact... Ecclesiastes is just frankly filled with things of earth texts. But the rest of the Bible has, of course, things of earth texts too. And those are texts that actually teach us that the things of this life are gifts from God and they are to be enjoyed. And so let me just take something outside of Ecclesiastes. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, nor to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Right? So that's a things of earth text. 1 Timothy 6.17. Right? So if you, if you have means, if you have, if you have wealth, by the way, compared to the world's standards, no matter what you make, everybody in this room is a rich person. Okay, And so, if you have riches, understand, don't be conceited because they didn't come from you, they came from God. You can't fix your hope on them because they're uncertain. Even Solomon teaches money grows wings and flies away, right? But you fix your hope on God who does what? Who gives you everything in this life to enjoy. And so, here's a question. 
how do you bring those two texts together, right? Those two sets of texts. In one sense, we compare them, right? What's greater? Christ is treasure or the things of earth? Well, Christ as treasure is greater, right? The things of earth are to be enjoyed, but they're, they're passing away. And so there's a comparative sense where you say, hands down, there's no doubt, the, the, the totalizing texts are supreme, but there's also another way to take the texts, and that is not just in a comparative sense, but in an integrative sense. In other words, it is God Himself, it is Christ Himself as our treasure, and all of the gifts that He gives in this life are to be enjoyed together. To have Christ as your supreme uh, uh, treasure in life is not to turn around and then say, I really hate being married because I love Jesus. That's, that's not the, that, that's not a choice you have to make. You can say something like this. I love being married and being married helps me love Jesus. Right? So these things are integrated. They're not opposite. They're not in antithesis to each other. And so God is enjoyed through His gifts. And so if you were here for the Sunday school hour, as you eat that steak and you get so like prime rib is my no no not prime rib um, um, ribeye rib thank you thank you oh how'd you know so because you're like you're a ribeye guy not a New York guy right okay so so ribeye I love ribeye you know why I love ribeye because God in His wonderful providential care of the way a cow grows has marbled the fat into a ribeye in a way that is absolutely fantastic. Alright? Okay? So you know what I say? I say thanks be to God for ribeyes. Thanks be to God for ribeyes that are that are medium. Okay? Okay? I'll go medium rare, but medium is my favorite, okay? And then thanks be to God that you can that you can take that bite and boy. And so I had brain surgery, so my taste is compromised, okay? And so now Taste is really important to me. So if I have something that I'm just like, oh, I I think I can taste that, I'm like, what a gift. What a gift. Now, I can't smell anything, and there are times when that's a gift. All right? Now, so, the question is this now. Okay, so totalizing texts and then things of earth texts, right? So the question is, How is old age a gift? The answer is, as the things of earth begin to slip away, we begin to increasingly see more and more how beautiful and glorious those totalizing texts are. So this is the way Joe Rigney puts it. He says, what will we do when we're faced with the loss of all good things? What will we do when the reality of death lands on us? The reality that we and all created delights, we love, are a vapor, breath, fading grass. 
What will we say and do when we're about to lose the created beams of glory that warm our hearts and bring us joy? Integrated delight in God's gifts knows that Christ is the joy of all of our joys and the pleasure at the heart of every pleasure and that death simply now opens up new vistas for knowing and enjoying Him. So as I live, I live this life to the full, enjoying the gifts of God, to the glory of God, and I do it in a way that I'm thankful for this life. But I also realize that this life is a vapor. It's going to soon be over. And as this life begins to fade, if God gives me an old age, then the gifts will start to slip away. And as the gifts begin to slip away, I begin to realize that those gifts simply anticipated greater gifts and greater glory and so in other words when the gifts slip away do we still love the giver and do we love him more than ever when the gifts start to slip away do we do we find in our hearts an increasing longing to be with him who gave us all good things to enjoy when the gift begins to slip away, the heart is, is exposed. This is one of the things that old age will do. Old age will expose whether I am an idolater or a lover of God. Because of that, old age can be a dangerous time. Spiritually dangerous time. But because, before Kohelet gets there, he has a parting word to the young. So if you're young, and I'll let you define that, listen carefully. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. The world's message is quite different, isn't it? The world's message is, listen young person, forget God. Forget the, forget the religion, the faith of your parents. Why? Sin is fun. God is boring. Forget God. Just embrace the fact that you're some cosmic accident and and at the end of the day, in your little world, you are God, so be God and just have fun. Kohela's message is actually absolutely contrary to everything that the world shouts at you. And it is this, remember your Creator. Notice Solomon does not just simply say, remember your God. He says, remember your Creator. Remember the One who has made all things. He made the world. He made it good. He is also the One who made you. He formed you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And He is the one who has given you life and breath and he's given you all good things to enjoy as your creator the one who has made you is now the one to whom you are accountable and so young person you have a creator he formed you in the womb he made you in his image He's your lawgiver, and one day He will be your judge. And here's what Kohelet says to young people. Remember. When he says remember, you have to understand that, that what's being communicated is the idea of, of, of reflect, embrace, and then act. 
Because remember, in the Bible, is always more than just mentally recalling something. It's reflecting on something that produces action. If, if I say to, uh, to my wife, do you remember when we were in San Antonio that time and we did this or that, right? I, I'm asking you, I'm asking her, can you kind of like recall that, that memory? Um, that's not what this is. This is like, remember the Alamo. So, I love history. And I love Davy Crockett. Okay? When I was a little boy, I had the Disney album, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. I'd play that album front and back over and over and over again. And I'd take my corner group, that was kind of like hippie furniture for those of you that don't know, and I would turn that, that corner group into the Alamo and I'd take my little musket and I would, I would reenact while listening to the record of Davy, Al- uh, Davy Crockett at the Alamo and uh, the storybooks say they were all cut low. But the truth of it is, it just ain't so. Okay? Now... And I would, I would weep because of the heroism. Okay. You know what Sam Houston's troops did when they gathered to take Santa Ana's army by surprise at a place called San Jacinto? as they descended upon those troops and ended this battle in 16 minutes, do you know what they were screaming? Remember the Alamo. Remember Goliad. Right? It wasn't just, hey guys, remember that mission in San Antonio? That's why I said San Antonio. How about that? It was like prophetic, right? (laughs) So, it wasn't just like, hey, remember the mission. It was... Remember the sacrifice, remember the truth, remember the reality, and now act. Right? Act with courage. And so when Solomon says, remember your Creator, he's not just simply saying, have some sort of mental recall to Genesis 1-1 and then put yourself in it. He's actually saying, bring to mind in a way that, 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 that you reflect on who God is and it impels you to act. And so what are you to do? Listen, if you are to remember God in the days of your youth, remember your Creator, what that is saying is, listen, young person, God deserves the prime of your youth. God deserves the prime of your life. He he deserves that period of your life that is most formative and most pliable. So the new birth is always a miracle, is it not? But it is, and it's a miracle uh, among young people and among old people. We've seen some like really old, old people get saved in our church. It's absolutely amazing. But listen, the new birth when you're young is glorious for another reason, and that is when the new birth comes when you are young, you are, you are by and large free from the baggage of years of sin and rebellion. And so, give God the prime of your life. Give Him your youth. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Why? Because evil days are coming. 
Those evil days are marked by saying, I have no delight in them. And what's being described? Old age. (laughs) What a way to describe old age. If you're old and you know you're old, Kohelet says evil days. The days are evil because they can become distressing due to increased infirmities and the loss of joy. And so one commentator says, to forget the creator of youth is to invite bitter regrets and an empty existence of of an old age. To remember the Creator is to follow the path of wisdom and to extend the joy of life. And so now, so after that appeal to young people, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, and then here's the warning and here's the reason why. Because you should do that before you get too old and the evil days begin to set in. Now what Kohelet's going to do is he's going to give us some vivid descriptions, kind of cryptic in some ways, of old age. And some of you are thinking, I don't need an exposition of this. My life exegetes this text every morning. He describes the evils of old age like this. First of all, verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. Um, if, if you look back at chapter 11, if your Bible is open, 11.7, the light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Right? So, that's, by the way, it's a picture of the capacity to enjoy life, to see the sun. But as you get older, that capacity diminishes and it's, it's getting darker and darker, so to speak. And so instead of the sun coming out after the rainstorm as it does in youth, in old age what happens? The, the rainstorm comes and after that one passes, instead of the sun coming out, another one follows it. And so old age is often marked by sorrow upon sorrow or sickness upon sickness. In the words of my other favorite Reformed theologian, Bob Dylan, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And so here's this succession of clouds, and this is a picture of this repetitive gloom. And what what is old age often marked by? Setback after setback after setback. And then it's, then Solomon says, in the days that the watchmen of the house tremble, so that's probably the watchmen of the house, the hands and the arms, once strong and sturdy, now shake with age. This last week, Ariel and I went and visited a dear old saint who's, I want to, th- I, th- I think Tom is about 88 now, isn't he? He's in his late 80s. When I first met Tom, It would have been 25 years ago. And he was strong. And he was fearless. And he was a guy that you knew, I don't mess with this guy. And as we went and visited him, his hands shook. His arms are weak. He can't even get out of his wheelchair. The images that I have of him 
are images from 20 plus years ago. And now, those arms and the hands, once sturdy and strong, now just fall by his side. Kohelet then says, And the mighty men stoop, that's probably the legs now weakened and bent with age. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. If you're from West Virginia, you know exactly what this is talking about. Sorry for all of you from West Virginia. The tooth population is declining. And the remaining survivors are less active. All right? You probably go, well, there's, there's places in Missouri that are like that, and that's okay. And so you start to lose your teeth. Those who look through the windows grow dim. That is, they lose, your eyes lose their strength. By the way, there's a disease, uh, an eye disease, and it's it's called presbyopia. You, You know that, right? I'm not making that up, and it's not a slam against Presbyterians. All right? Presbyopia. And it is old age sight. Okay? And so presbyopia actually is the gradual loss of your eye's ability to focus on nearby objects. It's a natural and often annoying part of aging. Presbyopia usually becomes noticeable in your early to mid-40s and continues to worsen until about the age of 65. And then you look forward to glaucoma and cataracts. The doors on the street are shut at the sound, and the, as the sound of the grinding mill is low. Now, there's some debate uh, over this particular one. So, the doors on the street are shut as the sign, sign, sound of the grinding mill is low. Possibly the idea of loss of hearing. The doors could be the ears. Now they're shut and they can barely hear the grinding sound produced down at the mill. Or it could actually even be sort of the lips curling over the gums because you've lost more teeth while you're eating soft food. And you say, this is the text you picked for your last sermon. <laughs> and one will arise at the sound of a bird. So notice... Despite loss of hearing, the picture here is that the old person is a light sleeper and awakes even at the tiniest chirping of a bird, even though he can't hear anything. And all the daughters of song will sing softly. And although a bird chirping wakes them up, they can no longer hear the beautiful musical notes and sounds of song. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and terrors on the road. That is, they they become increasingly Uh, fearful of heights so the older they are no more ladders escalators become iffy and stairs are out of the question and they're afraid to travel they want to stay home they want to stay away from anything that poses a threat so my grandfather used to raise pigs and when I was a little boy and they would come and visit my grandfather, always about five o'clock, would say, Come on, B, I gotta get home and feed the pigs. And they'd leave. Well, as time went on, he always would say at about five o'clock, Come on, B, we gotta go home, I gotta feed the pigs. One day it dawned on me that he didn't have any pigs anymore. He used it as an excuse 
not to have to drive in the dark. Right? The one that was strong and robust and drove a school bus and did all these things now wanted to get home before it was dark because it was fearful to drive home in the dark. The almond tree blossoms. You don't need much imagination for this. White hair begins to take over the once black hair of the prime of life. Okay, So, brother, I'm glad that your fellow elders have more gray hair on the top of their head than you do. Although I'm sure you're the oldest. By far. Yes, by far. Okay, So the almond tree blossoms. You get more and more. It, actually, this is, this is an amazing thing. Last week, my beard was completely brown. <laughs> the grasshopper drags himself along. So this, this is an interesting picture. Walt Kaiser, I think, he says it describes the halting gait of the elderly as they walk along with their canes. The caper berry is ineffective, and so many commentators point out that the caper berry was in fact uh, an ancient form of an aphrodisiac that aroused sexual desire and power, and the, the image actually is one of, of, of being impotent. Lack of desire, and it can't be reversed anymore. And then it says this, For man goes to his eternal home, while mourners go about in the street. In other words, old age just culminates in death. Man goes to his eternal home. I, I got a text last night. We have a wonderful man in our church. Um, his name is Marshall. And Marshall is just a, 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 an old soldier for Christ. And he has plodded along and plodded along. And it seems to me that Marshall's been old as long as I've known him. Right? And I get a text last night. Marshall's no longer responsive. The end is near. That's how old age ends. And it always ends that way. It culminates in death. And so man goes to his eternal home. And so while man goes to his eternal home, the mourners are out in the street. Perhaps even the family is gathered around the deathbed. And death has come and taken another victim. The body which has been deteriorating, especially as that accelerates in old age, finally has given out. And so don't miss the echo for the young. Old age is coming. Death is coming. You know, the, the, the thing about being young is that there's something in your head that basically says you're always going to be young. The thing about being strong and athletic and in the prime of life, you, you forget that it will be a very, very, very short period of time before your body is no longer able to keep up with your mind. And the things that you once did with great ease, doing a layup with a basketball, all of a sudden becomes a trip to the emergency room. Okay? 
I mean, I was in my 40s and my son had this long board. It's like a skateboard. It's just long, right? And I'm like, oh, cool. I'll get on that. And so I stand on it. And, and I'm like, I used to ride a skateboard all the time when I was in high school. And this one's even longer. So I stand on it and go down the driveway. And I try to make the turn onto the sidewalk. And the, the long board went that way. And I went that way. And for two weeks, I had an ache. <laughs> This is the lot of every single one of you. And the wise actually really take it to heart. And so old age is coming and death is coming, so remember your Creator now, long before death knocks at your door. By the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you that sometimes young people die young. Now we get these vivid descriptions in verses 6 and 7 of, of death and in a sense in more anatomical puzzles. And so because some of this imagery is, is really challenging, some commentators have just kind of said, um, well, the imagery is just on the end of life uh, being brutal and final, uh, smashed, broken and crushed, but I think we can't push it too far. And I'm going to push it a little far um, and if it's not right, then it's not right. But remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Some of the older commentators believe that the silver cord was the spine and the golden bowl was the brain. And the pitcher by the well is shattered. The old Puritan William Briggs suggested that this was the bladder, which, quote, did hold the urine, which is now old, and doth insensibly pass away. That's how a Puritan says your bladder stops working when you die. (laughs) The wheel at the cistern is crushed. Could be the pulmonary system or even the nervous system. And so whatever, whatever the allegory images may represent, the point ends up being clear, right? That is, that which functioned at one time, that which was healthy at one time, that which served a purpose at one time, that which was beneficial, is now gone. It's now crushed, it's now shattered, it's now worthless, and the body is finally given way to death. And then Kohelet says these words, then the dust will return to the earth as it was. And so, in a book that is infused with Genesis chapter 3, Solomon actually reminds us that our bodies are but dust, and from dust they came, and to dust they will return, just as God promised in Genesis chapter 3. And verse 19. And then he says this, And the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Now you might notice that's the second time that he's made a comment like that. Back in verse 5, man goes to his eternal home. So remember I said yesterday when he says, Who knows whether Spirit returns to the God who gave it. Remember, these two verses, Solomon is absolutely clear. When you die, you go to your eternal home. Your Spirit returns to the God who gave it. And again, this is not this really developed view of the afterlife, but it is an affirmation that once the soul or the Spirit is separated from the body at death, it returns to the God who gave it. And so here's a picture of old age. And there's something about it that's profoundly depressing. There's something about losing the gifts of this life that ends up being sad. 
I remember, and maybe you've had this experience, I remember the very first time that my dad looked old to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? You looked at him and you thought, oh my goodness, he's an old man. That's my dad. The one that was strong, the provider, the one who was my hero. He's now an old man. Guess what? One of these days, your kids will say the same about you. But it's okay. One of these days, their kids will say that about them. And their kids will say that about them. And it goes on and on and on. And so here is this picture of old age and there's something about it that causes your heart to, to yearn. And then, and then Solomon finishes in exactly the way that he started. Havel of Havels, vapor of vapors, breath of breaths, says Kohelet, everything is breath. Now, by the way, doesn't breath or vapor fit much better here at the end than the idea of vanity or meaninglessness or something like that? Vapor of vapors, everything is vapor. Everything's temporary. Youth is temporary. Old age is temporary. If this describes you in old age, and, and, and old age is a painful reality for you, I would remind you that just as sure as youth is a vapor, old age is a vapor too. It it does not last forever. It may seem to last longer than we want it to, but it is still a vapor. So this life, which is a gift, will in fact be over before we know it. And so the only way to enjoy this life while you have it is to see it as a gift, not an achievement. See it as a vapor and live from the standpoint that life is short. Yesterday or Friday, I can't remember, I mentioned that Vin Scully, the announcer for the Dodgers, had said at his retirement after 67 baseball seasons, don't be sad it's over, but smile because it happened. And um, I think the same people that gave me the defective can of peaches then destroyed this illustration for me too by telling me that it was... Actually, Winnie the Pooh that said it. Um, (laughs) So as Winnie the Pooh once said, (laughs) don't be sad it's over. Smile that it happened. Now I mentioned, and then we'll wrap it up here, I mentioned that old age can be dangerous. And so, if you've got the gray hair and you feel the aches and the pains in the morning, I want to remind us, old age can actually be a dangerous time. Kohelet says they're evil days. The Puritan William Bridge, in his book, A Word to the Aged, reminds his audience that not only are there physical infirmities that we encounter in old age, but there are also moral infirmities. 
He says these are the things that we need to watch out for. The elderly are in fact apt to be covetous and tenacious for the things of this world. In a sense, you understand that's what... Uh, I mean, I don't know what they call it anymore. I don't keep up on these things. But what we used to call a midlife crisis, right, is basically a person realizing that the prime of life is is gone and what are they trying to do? They're trying to tenaciously and covetously hold on to the things of this world. Bridget says, as wantonness is the young man's vice, so covetousness is the old man's sin. He also goes on and he says, in old age, um, the, the elderly are apt to be fearful. He then goes on and he says, they're apt to be too touchy, peevish, angry. For old age is a continued sickness and in sickness men are apt to be angry. Have you ever, have you ever noticed this where you have a person and, and, and they, they go one of two ways in old age? As old age begins to encroach and to become a more and more of a reality, they can become sweeter and sweeter, or sometimes they get meaner and meaner. Have you noticed this? Right? And so, Bridges says you have to be careful because old age can be a time where you become prickly, where you become the porcupine, where you become an angry person. He also says they might think that they know more than others and then they end up becoming unteachable, right? By the way, we didn't look at it, but there's a text in chapter 7 that says, basically, don't reminisce with with, um, a sense of romanticism of the good old days. Oh, that the good old days were here, right? So there's no such thing in one sense. You understand that, right? Because the good old days were not as good as you think and the bad days are not as bad as you think. All right, But for the person in old age, they start to think, well, you know what? I've lived life. I've had the good old days. I'm not going to let some young person teach me anything. I'm not going to listen to anything anybody else has to say unless they're as old as me. And you go, well, that's impossible. You're 97. (laughs) They become hard to please, full of complaints. Bridges again, they're apt also to think and to speak of the sins of their youth with delight and so to commit them again by thought and word which they cannot come at by their action. He says, be sure that you do not chew the cud of your former sins by musing on them with delight for thereby you justify your former practices, but rather mourn over them. For the way to keep from future sin is to mourn for former sins, and the way to be kept from sins of old age is to mourn for the sins of one's youth. They can start to become suspicious, always suspecting the worst of people, and suspecting the worst is going to happen. And so there are plenty of of dangers of becoming an old person. But old age will also test our commitment to those totalizing texts as the things of earth grow strangely dim. And so if there's a lot of resentment and even anger at old age, it's because we're coveting our younger years And what we're doing... Have you ever met somebody that's just angry that they're getting old? 
And what they're doing is they're spoiling the gift of youth by grasping it too tightly. But for those who've walked with God and with those, for those who have their affections set upon Christ, they enjoyed the gifts when they had them and now they look forward to something greater. Joe Rigney again, he says, death takes away our earthly delights and the resurrection restores them in spades. Nothing good will ever be finally lost. It's not just that all the best joys here point to joys there, but that many of the best joys here will actually be there, only glorified, transfigured, and heightened beyond all our imagination. And so as you age, as the gifts begin to slip away, look to God. And look to God. Look to God for for old age grace and for dying grace. Pray to God and ask as you start to notice that the things of earth actually just slipping away, the gifts that God has given, they're less enjoyable, the delights are, are dimming, and you begin to realize, you know what, I'm entering into that final stage of life. God, give me the grace to grow old gracefully. God, give me the kind of grace that makes me a blessing and an asset to my children and my children's children. Don't let me, don't let me be the cranky old man who, we had a cranky old lady that lived next to us for a long time. And you know, what are Wi-Fi, what, what is the thing where you bring up the Wi-Fi's and they, they, they have a name? Okay, and you can see your neighbors. What's that? Okay, that thing. So, you know what hers was? Get off my lawn. <laughs> Get off my lawn. I don't. I don't. I don't want to be an old person like that. I don't. I don't want to be the old person that the young people actually go hide behind cars and start making noises and trying to scare you. Not that I ever did that. I want to be the kind of old person that is full of grace and full of wisdom and is still teachable and is still growing until I take my last breath to be with the Lord Jesus. I want to be a graceful old man that's a blessing to my grandchildren and one of these days to their children. That's what I want to be. And you don't have to be the grumpy, cranky misfit. The grace of the Lord Jesus can sweeten old age in a way that you could become a country music song. You know what I'm talking about, right? Randy Travis singing about his grandpa or his great-grandpa, right? I forget what that song's called. It is really sweet. You should listen to it on the way home. Put it in your, put it in YouTube, right? And guess what? That old man, he had tobacco stains down his shirt. Not recommending that. But, but he told them stories about his old age or his cowboy days and, and he died and, and, and he missed that old man. He wa- yes! 
Thanks be to God, a country music fan in Missouri. Who'd have thought? I thought he walked on water, right? I want to be the kind of old man that not only has great stories for my children's children and their children, but I want to be the kind of old man that can actually testify to the faithfulness of Jesus all of my days so that I can look at them in the eye and tell them, you know what, Calvin, you know what, Sean, you know what, Elliot, you know, one of these days, Papa is going to die. And when I die, I'm going to go right into the presence of the Lord Jesus. And you'll miss me. But I want you to know that He's made a way for you too. And He can be your Savior too. And there would be nothing that would bring me more joy than to know that this life, which is so short, is going to be lived by you for His glory. And so one of these days, you too will have the confidence that when you die, you'll go to your eternal home with your Heavenly Father and with your Savior. That's the kind of old person I want to be. And so, guess what? As we wrap this up, you're all going to die. Okay? You are. That's that's not like a punchline to anything. That's just the truth. You're all going to die. I'm going to die. In 2016, I almost did die. Twice. And you know what? You better be ready to die. You better be ready. When you know your life is eking away, you better be ready. But I will tell you, you don't wait until you start to eat. Okay? Just last year, we had a guy in our church, 60 years old, went to bed on a Saturday night, made... They they make honey, okay? Did some honey, made some sourdough bread, went to bed Saturday night. Never got to church the next morning. Died of a brain aneurysm. Okay. That's what this life is like. Things like that happen. You have to be ready to meet your God because you will die. Amen. And the only way to meet Him safely is in the arms of a crucified, risen Savior. And so, make sure that your hope and your faith are grounded in the One who put death to death and lives forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the book of Ecclesiastes and we thank You for the time that You've given us in it. And we pray that it would bear good fruit among these precious people. And Father, I thank You so much that that my own personal family of Christ and Ariel's family of Christ has now grown by being here this weekend. And we give you thanks and praise for the reality of, of life as a gift. And Father, we pray that we would look to you as not only the giver, but also the one who is our greatest treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.